0: This week, we're finishing Twilight by Stephanie Meyer, aka The Panopticon. The Panopticon! (laughs) The Panopticon!
1: Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines those swashbuckling
0: ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. Want to see what's next on our TBR list? Subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Instagram for a sneak peek at upcoming content or to help us pick our next book. Your girl does not remember anything, anything about part one.
1: that's fair we had lots of shots during part one
0: yeah and we did not even mispronounce that much but we still had shots uh anyway so bella and edward have arrived at edward's meadow i.e. one of the most iconic reoccurring locations of this whole fucking series you know they go there for funsies it's kind of a bright day and edward's going to show bella what he looks like in the sunlight anyway we get edward feeling a little smidge more comfortable around bella some light groping some like kissing and then edward in typical edward fashion has like a little bit of a temper tantrum breakdown, and proceeds to remind bella how very mortal she is and how very immortal he is you know throw around some big sticks break some shit while she's terrified a little bit terrifying um, I don't think that's a hot take. A I think that's it's terrifying. It's <laughs> not okay because he's literally, yeah. he's literally
1: like, "You should fear me. I can kill you now." You know what? I think I quoted this. Maybe it's a movie quote. Mm, I um, can see them, but I, I think I remember this specific scene where he's like, "I, you know, I have killed people," mm-hmm. and she's like, "That's okay. It's fine." He's like, "I want to kill you. That's even more okay." It's fine I love you. And in this scene the meadow he's like look at my awesome display of strength and speed and you don't even have a choice like I want you to be with me but if I wanted to eat you I could.
2: Well I I don't know if it's in this scene or if it's it's shortly before or shortly after at the very least where he talks about I paraphrase he says that Basically, you are a fragile egg, and if I'm not cautious, I will break you. Mm -hmm. It talks about having to conserve his strength every time he touches her face or something like that. Mm So it's a little weird.
0: Yeah. So, really, all of Edward's posturing still comes down to the fact that he's terrified by the fact that Bella isn't even like remotely scared of him, even though, you know, he could hurt her. And, you know, he, like some hardcore Christian parents, is like, um, I'm going to instill the fear of God in her. And that's where this whole like temper tantrum comes from is him like, I'm going to show you exactly what I can do. But she's still in that, like, oh my God, I love you. Like anything you do is not terrifying at all. Oh, but it, and obviously it doesn't work because Bella's still like oh my god i love you um anything you can do cannot really hurt me because you feel some sort of way behind it and so um we get the quintessential a plus you know lamb scene where she's like that stupid lamb and then he's like sick masochistic lion super iconic carries over into the movie (laughs) that it does there are so many lines that carry over like specifically explicitly from the book into the movie and i'm kind of here for it even though it's problematic so
1: like lines like that kind of resonate i think as a reader too like oh like this this is exactly what this scene needs right here but also yeah super
0: problematic as you're reading it Because just the fact that like he knows better, like I feel like a lion doesn't maybe necessarily know better because it's acting, you know, in its nature. But uh, Edward for sure knows that she is, you know, this cute little lamb that cannot do, you know, 17
1: years old to like 100 plus. There's some problems there
0: maybe some problems uh anyway edward reveals that he was born in chicago in 1901 and was found by carlisle in a rando hospital dying of like the spanish influenza or whatever and then he also notes that esme 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 take a shot girl no no no, <laughs> no. oh my God. Shot. <laughs> esme do it
2: we believe in mm-hmm. you uh-huh. That's Yeah, that's a whole shot. Okay, there we go. That was a whole shot, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a whole shot.
1: We applaud you, Katie. That tasted like raisins. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it did taste like raisins. I yeah. can't
1: untaste the taste of raisins since you made that comparison. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. I have a gift for this.
0: He does. Um. So Edward notes that Esme fell off a cliff, you know, a little bit later, and, you know, their little ragtag family was started. Um, Esme was not, you know, just yeeted off a cliff. Uh, she yeeted herself off a cliff after losing her child, which fair response, a little bit. But Edward ever the gentleman, kind of like put a little, you know, emotionally plausible, morally plausible answer on that. Don't love it, but that's what happened. Uh, next, he explains what happened to Rosalie, which means that he doesn't touch on it at all. He just says that Rosalie was brought into the family. And then Emmett, he kind of actually touches on, and he said that he was uh, devoured by a bear, which is funny that he now hunts bear for sport. Um, kind of a weird vendetta of sorts, apparently. Is Rosalie's story
1: revealed in later books? Because we're we're not going to be reviewing the no, but yes, it is. Okay, so her story is heartbreaking.
0: It's really fucking
1: traumatic. <laughs> like, okay, so to put it bluntly, she was, I think, gang raped.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the, yeah, on the, not even that aggressive side, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely
0: horrible. Which is crazy, too, because it explains her aggressive opinions about everything between Bella and Edward. And it's kind of in the first book just, like, glossed over. But I feel like that's an absolutely, like, legitimate point to come from. That she's like, I went through this absolutely horrific experience. Like, I don't think that you should be in a like, eternal human being. Like, this is a, you know, penitentiary of you know, you just have to live even though you don't want to. It's like, I feel like her feelings are valid. (laughs) And uh, it's treated as if Rosalie's kind of a bitch, which I don't, love
1: yeah no i don't like that either and i'm trying to save a lot of my comments regarding rosalie t- for the movie that's fair because she gets great representation in the twilight movie it's the one thing they do really well that's it's fair portraying her character yeah but in the book she's just kind of um glossed
0: over yeah she's like a side character i don't even think they really talk about her she probably gets like three sentences which outrage rosalie deserves better Anyway, so Edward and Bella are, like, at Edward's house during this point. He talks about, you know, everyone else in his little ragtag family. But now he's talking about Jasper and Alice. So Jasper belonged to some other family, and then he's brought into their family, and he doesn't really go into any more detail. And then Alice, he says... Literally jack shit about. So Alice, like, you know, lived as human in like darkness, and then all of a sudden she was a vampire, and then she saw a vision and found Jasper and then joined their family. We get a little bit more later, but like her story, really fucking tragic, like, equally, if not a little bit less, but maybe equally as tragic as Rosalie's, which also I find a tad bit traumatic and questionable and problematic that the fact that only the female characters had really traumatic problematic backstories but the males like emmet just got mauled by a bear and jasper had his whole you know like uh spanish-american war uh you know was in charge of armies of newborns or whatever and like that's obviously traumatic but like why did rosalie and alice get these like really fucked up backstories you know what i mean
1: yeah i i agree they're both very violent very like I don't know what the right term or yeah. phrase for it is, but it's like this female-centered aggression and violence. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what it is? Yeah.
2: Based on what I heard, no. It okay. Me on to target
1: so, Rosalie is is gang-raped and like nearly to death, and then Alice is put into a mental asylum mm-hmm. like yeah. in the early 20th century where it's it's basically a death sentence. It's just this very like female-centric um abuse.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I think what, I mean, but like when they had a button word here, which is, it's not that it's female centric, it's that it's patriarchal,
0: mm. which is to
2: say that like, yeah, no, it's male dominated society and like, oh, you're divergent. You're a woman. You've had the following experiences yeah. like that. Like, yeah, now we're going to treat you with electricity across the brain pan. So yeah, I like feel that. like
0: that's not really a hot take. Cause I no. mean, you look at Emma's experience and then you look at Jasper's experience. They're almost like quintessential of like male maleness. If that makes sense. Like Emmett's like literally like mauled by a bear. A bear. Yeah. And then Jasper's like, I'm fighting in a war. Yeah. Like, and like well. Like fighting in a war well.
2: Yeah, this goes back to the sort of two dimensional framework I'm saying Edward was drawn within. Yeah. Uh, which is that, you know, I know what this podcast didn't need was like a a male, you know, middle aged white cisgender perspective, but like those are also pretty standard archetypes. Like this is these are is sort of I don't know the adjective epectidian. I'm not sure, but like ek- Whoa, from epectidian, okay, uh, I don't know that I I may Google owe you a shot. Yeah. Define, please. Yeah, what does that mean?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Edward also reveals that he's been to Bella's house and also watched her sleep every single night, and that is
1: one of the most problematic elements of this whole fucking story which is like even if you can't
0: sleep even if you're immortal never okay yeah because like from the 17 year old's perspective again it's like the like oh someone thought that i was interesting enough to watch sleep and even though i talked in my sleep it was like cute like again that's problematic because it's like why is that man spending his waking hours watching you sleep? I did not mispronounce anything. He's holding a shot glass as if I'm, you know, accused of a crime. Oh, I just love the fact that he's holding a Cinderella uh, shot glass. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was just I was just announcing shot fired, like I've just downed my oh, shot. Just don't no one no, no one in the listening audience would miss the fact that I did do my shot, even though I'm not we're not entirely convinced epictine is not a word. Uh, but like,
1: I would but be again super uncomfortable if like, as a teenager especially, like, someone's watching you sleep. Like, yeah.
0: yeah, because, again, it's, like, intruding on your very vague, very, you know, small uh, conception of privacy. Like, uh, you know, as a 17-year-old, your privacy only really extends to your bedroom, really. And, like, not even then. Because even your cell phone is kind of, like, up for grabs for your parents, especially in the modern age, that they can really kind of, like, look at whatever you're doing. And it's kind of that, like... um what is the word? I love saying it at work and now I'm forgetting. Uh, It's a circle and it's a little thing in the middle and they can see everything that you're doing, but you can't really see them and there's like mirrors and stuff. I have no idea where you're going with that. No, Rob, you're supposed to know what this means. It's a concept. So it's a big like circle building and there's like prison cells on the outside and Like, by fancy, well-established mirrors, they can see whatever is going on in the
2: cells. Panopticons? Yeah, the panopticons! Are you kidding me? Well, you get to take a shot, though. (laughs) What? Why? Because it's not just mispronounced words. It's words you struggle to find. Yeah, yeah, How, it's a, a, have I, a shot. It's, I don't
0: have anything. Or yourself. So it's a well have chosen a word. But again, it's the panopticon concept. So she has this one free space that is free of the male gaze. You know, she can do whatever she wants. And then her crush is immediately introduced in this panopticon concept of like he is watching her. He knows what she's saying. But thankfully, you know, in Bella's head, probably not. You know, uh, suspect to. Edward's gaze is that she is thankful that he does not know what she's like talking about, and thank God by you know, exception that she is thinking about him. But it's like, how is the one place that she's safe is somewhere that he has intruded upon, and the only thing that she's thinking about is him?
2: Oh, you know, I, I felt like I was gonna add something just a moment ago by saying that <laughs> he also gets to eavesdrop. On the far side of the conversations that she has, because she can uh, listen to the uh, the minds of people she's conversing with, but then you hit us with a way harder point, which is that he has even intruded upon her private domicile of her bedroom. Like that's a way better point.
1: She's not even upset about that. That's what really threw me in the book was reading that. Like I would be horrified. Oh my god! I no longer can change in the privacy of my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Like there's this visitor in here who's gonna watch me without me knowing like without outside of my control like does bella have any expectation of control over edward's behavior
0: but again like as a 17 year old seeing yourself in these like very raw very like unemotionally guarded or like emotionally unguarded moments like is that not the dream that someone sees you in these moments where you're just being yourself and they accept you or at least from the 17-year-old perspective, that this is like true love.
1: Yeah. As a, as a fantasy element,
0: yes. Does a 17-year-old want that to be seen when they
1: can't be seen? Absolutely. But as a, is there an alternative to that fantasy that's also a fantasy that's more healthy and not damaging to like the 17-year-old psyche? Could we present a different fantasy to a 17-year-old reader that is more acceptable and wouldn't set them up for a lifetime of like poor expectations when it comes to the relationships.
0: This might be controversial, but I don't know that I've read a lot of books that like meet that high threshold.
1: Let's look at the books we've reviewed. So Graceling,
0: Yeah, even that is kind of like uh, they have this kind of like almighty, all-knowing perspective of what you're thinking at all times. And that's the only reason that they're accepting of who you are. Because even like uh, the book that I just reviewed for our pick of a week, again, timelines are not syncing up at this point. (laughs) Um, That will come in like two or three weeks. But Love Theoretically by Ali Hazelwood, like he has some kind of like... Uh, paranormal like understanding of what she's thinking and that's like not the intent behind it because it's modern romance but he seems to know all of her insecurities at the point that she's having them and it's like is that realistic
1: that's I think the female fantasy which is this omnipotent omnipotent
0: oh girl that's a shot if I took a shot earlier for mispronouncing a word that I didn't even know it was a was a word off you go There she did. She did it. (laughs) There she did. It was so bad. It was so much raisins. (laughs) (laughs) All the raisins.
1: But it's the fantasy that like your sexual desire knows what you want without you articulating it. Yeah. But not even
0: sexual desire, just like romantic desire. Like understanding as a person that someone sees you and understands without any kind of like gauze of, you know, anything. They see you as you are. Like, that's such a sad premise.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, this comes back to what I I was saying was that he seems to be a character drawn around the idea of like, all right, what would ultimate wish fulfillment look like? And it's not that it's problematic because you know it's a it's a hot button issue to identify uh, you know patriarchal issues of control and things like that. It's that it's it's a bit disturbing to see a character with virtual omniscience. He gets to overhear the thoughts of every person she converses with. He, she's the only exception, which I, I grant you that's an, that's an interesting caveat to his power. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He goes wherever she goes. Things like that. It's disconcerting because, not just because, like, all right, there's a very serious power dynamic here between a 17 year old girl and a 100 year old man with experience and extreme powers. It's also the fact that, honestly, from a literary perspective, a lot of this just goes unexamined. Yeah. Like, that would—that's really interesting stuff. I'm not saying that it's not interesting or that it shouldn't work its way into the books because this is the sort of thing that you would expect to find its way into a narrative, into a literary portrayal of a of a of a very unusual, abstract, bizarre relationship. Mm-hmm. It's just that as interesting as these details of these characters are, now nah, we just gloss over them and they very, very rapidly profess their undying love for one another and then they go to prom. Yeah. So, sorry I'm skipping ahead in the narrative.
0: But that's still that's an absolutely valid point that um I feel like a lot of people uh, kind of underwrite Twilight or just kind of bypass Twilight is this very like cult fiction moment or movement for, you know, 14 to 17-year-old girls during this period and they kind of bypass all of the underlying emotional resonance with the book and the character and they're just like, "Oh, you know, this is a You know, cult fiction, like nobody really, there's no underlying emotional ties behind this, but it's like there absolutely is. There's a reason it was so fucking popular. and We just kind of bypassed the, like, maybe the problematic points. And that's the part that I kind of find interesting is, was Stephanie Meyer speaking from her own personal experience or was this, like, trying to bring attention to the points that, you know, 14 to 17-year-olds in this certain time period, like, are there maybe problematic things that they're seeking in their emotional and romantic relationships? Or is this, like, a oh, this is something that, like, people are seeking like let's talk about it and nobody does or is it like hey like this is a fucking problem that so many people are like you know emotionally resonating with the story like are we gonna talk about it and nobody did like i kind of wonder about her intent like she was she coming into this like absolutely we should fucking talk to this or is she like this is my experience and like is this wrong is problematic and people can kind of draw their assumptions from that or is she like pointed about it
2: yeah and i think that's where i think so we're one of the challenges and where the i think it does generally become problematic because when you ask uh what what through what lens do we analyze this one is it, is the perspective of the 17 year old girl or more alarming is is it the perspective of uh think of like uh modern men's rights activist types yeah, we're like, oh yeah, this is In what cells. women want. They want, yeah, they want a domineering, uh, potent force to. To insert himself into their lives, and then, and you know, he, he needs to be mysterious and controlling and authoritative. Yeah, like that's another perspective on the relationship here. Uh, like, I'll grant you, I don't think a lot of men's rights activists are reading Twilight and <laughs> and, and and deducing. But uh, they should. <laughs> but it's scary
0: if they do. You know what I mean? Like, I
2: mean, yeah, that give
0: them more ammo to be more scary. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, well, I mean, there's another perspective too, which is just a purely literary perspective. Like, you know what? These, you know, are these realistically drawn characters? Can we? Imagine human people, you know, surviving the human condition, reacting to the circumstances in the in in the ways described in this book. From Bella's perspective, I say yes, but I maintain that Edward's perspective is problematic and and poorly drawn. It's problem. It's problem. Did I say problem? problem- I may have shot. Yeah, I may have shot. shot. Pro- it's problematic. It's problematic because it is poorly drawn.
0: So problematic from Edward's perspective, but not problematic from Bella's perspective like that's a very reasonable perspective to draw if you are bella the perspective bella the speaker and i think that's the
1: difference between like understanding the audience and the purpose of this book because i like to think that with some of the books we read there is a very like definitive line between Mm -hmm. fantasy and then writing something that's extremely realistic and is trying to send like a message to relate to the real world yeah right for a 17 year old paranormal fantasy like you want complete escapism where your reader can identify that oh this is fantasy this would never occur in real life mm-hmm. this is just for like you need to get away yeah. from the shit that is your real life and just sit in this fantasy character that can read your mind read what you want and desire and take you away from your monotony of yeah. the day to day i don't know i don't i don't know what the reason is for why twilight was
0: created is it escapism is it to send a message anyway yeah i feel like that's almost the line like is your story meant to be a warning almost where it deserves kind of like that trigger warning of like hey this is something you might be feeling but this is why it's problematic or is it like this is speaking to that 17 year old desire that you feel that you can't really put like words to and it's like almost like a commiserating like and i feel like uh books like this almost kind of deserve a trigger warning of like, hey, like, Even if you're feeling like this, the way that Edward treats you, if you have a relationship like this, this is not equal. This is not something that you should seek. It's a controversial topic. Like, uh, is that what trigger warnings are for? That, you know, this is the wisdom of age and coming back and looking at the story as like a 27-year-old or 30-year-old or 40-year-old or 50-year-old, you know, and coming back and being like, oh, wow, this is like problematic or is that from the perspective of, like, this is something that is traumatic to all ages, you should beware? You know what I mean? Controversial. Hot take. I have left my audience speechless, which is Robin Jordan, which we, is not much of an audience. We, <laughs> wow. That was rude. You guys are the the epitome of an audience, but not in numbers-wise. Okay. <laughs> So staying on with the plot, so uh, we can actually finish part. Yeah. Uh, so she says that, or he says that he's watching her sleep, and she's like, "Oh my god, like what?" And he's like, "Yeah, I saw you like sleep talk." And he's like, "I feel like we have gone from a really dramatic, you know, take to the very mundane, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> that's okay. But that's very
1: demonstrative.
0: Wow. Good well, word. <gasps> <gasps> nice job." <laughs> Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> Is it a shot if you think you, that you didn't say that? I right? It ought to be, right? Okay, okay. so of this book, though, because it alternates
1: between sending this very important message at times and being kind of
0: superfluous. Mm-hmm.
2: No, you didn't. Superfluous. <laughs> I, I felt like
0: that was right, though. <laughs> Does it, <laughs> Does it count that she doesn't have to take a shot if I thought it was right? Or is warn- that like a King universal? King.
2: They warned you that I was a snob, right? <laughs>
0: snob. Superfluous. Uh, also like what of a good fucking point. Anyway, so Edward and Bella go to the field, you know, Edward's Meadow, and then they go back and have these like conversations. And then Edward spends the night, but not in the like teen fantasy fiction way that you would per what would happen they just have some like weird kind of conversations slash candid conversations about like what that means for them but like also not really and like edward has this very like real moment about it. he's like oh i've read you know jealousy in books and plays and like i think I or I thought I knew that what jealousy was, but I didn't really understand it until I experienced it, which I feel like is a very, you know, human perspective on things that you can understand jealousy abstractly. And then you experience it for the first time and you're like, oh, my God. Uh, but anyway, they have this, you know, drawn out conversation while Bella's pretending that she doesn't want to, you know, have sex with Edward because apparently he's weird about that um bella then asked the question but she kind of like shies away from it and she's like oh my god i'm not gonna ask this and he's like what are you gonna ask and she's like oh my god i can't ask it and he's like please just fucking ask it she wonders if vampire weddings are the same as regular weddings and this was the point Sex. <laughs> Okay, so this is the point that I felt uncomfortable because I feel like uh, regular 17 year olds are not thinking about weddings as a precursor to marriage. They're just thinking about like sex as is and then like wedding is like something you do in the future. The fact that she's talking about weddings instead of sex was a very interesting point to me, even at 17 and also at 27. We'll circle, circle. Whoa, <laughs> circle. girl. I'm going to
1: edit the shit out of that. Uh, so. No, I think okay. that deserves a shot. No, I can't take any more shots. I That's won't be fair. able to pronounce simple words like circle. Yeah. That's very See, so- it's uh, exacerbating.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. oh no! She tried to say that word earlier. Um. Okay. So not to talk about like childhood trauma, but that's how my like AP history teacher <laughs> uh said that word. So.
2: And I played into that somewhat at work as an editor for for oh, no. for Katie's work. <laughs> or, <laughs> Is it or not exasperating? Where I, I have deliberately lied to her about the pr- <laughs> about the correct pronunciation of words. No yeah. Exacerbate exacerbate.
0: exacerbate. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, to
1: exaggerate yeah. and exacerbate.
2: Yeah. I have I've I've deliberately lied to Katie on occasion about the correct pronunciation of words and exploited her trust in my <laughs> seniority and experience and things like that, and I um, am a <laughs> monster for it. Which incidentally is a Parallel to the Bella Edward relationship where she's like, Well, you got hundred oh, years oh, of experience. No. I just I guess I'll just trust the things that you say. You're probably right. Like fucking wrong. Oh no. Maybe a <laughs> abusive.
0: Uh we have a real life example of why this is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> oh no.
2: I know. It, it it induces psychoses that just didn't need to be there. They just didn't need to be there.
0: Apparently, um but even more almost problematic than them talking about marriage at 17 instead of sex is the you know Edwards response to that and he said, I don't think that uh that would be possible for us um ouch could you imagine that your 17 year old boyfriend that you're talking about you know sex in the abstract by using marriage as like a you know one for one turn yeah and he's like I don't think that that would be possible could you fucking imagine i cannot i am blinded by the embarrassment and immediate suicidal tendencies that i would experience but again bella just glosses over that she's like oh you don't okay well anyway we're going to talk about something else it's like girl do you hear what he's saying? Like, he doesn't want to have sex with you. He does not want to marry you. And yeah, it's for some kind of like moral, you know, answer. But that's never an answer. Like,
2: we
1: need to trademark that sound.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fair. That was kind of, it was, yeah, it was kind of a Katie version of Ayuga. Oh, Ayuga. But
0: like a questionable Ayuga. Like, yeah, 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 a yeah. new Ayuga? Ayuga? <laughs> uh anyway again bella's like oh you know you can't marry me marry me because it'd be like too hard for you right and he's like uh no i'd be more you know worried about totally destroying you and murdering you on accident (laughs) which again (laughs) questionable when i was reading it i'm like oh yeah he's just like super strong and like amazing and like he'd be worried you know it has to you know restrain his strength uh but again the drunk hot take is that this is disturbing. Yeah, okay. So the whole premise is that
1: Bella is supposed to admire Edward for having the the strength to withstand his internal urges to fucking murder her.
2: Yeah.
0: It kind of feels like incel, you know. Yeah. Like validating. Yeah.
2: Oh, I hadn't made that connection. Yeah. A little bit.
0: Like, I feel the need to murder you, but I also... You
1: poor, weak female. You can barely walk in a straight line without stumbling over yourself. One, let me drive you home. Two, let me make sure you're sleeping correctly. Three, do you love me? You shouldn't love me, but let me tell you why.
0: This makes me so sad from a Twilight is my comfort movie perspective. (laughs) Because it's still my comfort movie, but it is so problematic. Uh, anyway... Um, The next part of this almost gets worse. Edward asks like all other teenage boys um, if Bella has ever had sex. And Bella's like, what? No, I've never felt this way about someone before. Exclamation point. (laughs) That was a question I probably should take a shot, but for health reasons, I should not. (laughs) Uh, Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And then they kind of bypass that by, you know, Bella saying that she's just gonna go to bed Edward's like, yeah, it's, you know, good. Also do not under, understand the weird kind of like virgin, you know, paralysis that Edward ex- is experiencing that he thinks that Bella needs to be a virgin in order for them to have like a regular relationship. But again, uh, that is explained by his being from the 1900s, even though like that's problematic also in the 1900s, but we just bypass that. Uh yeah, Bella's a virgin. Edward is a virgin. Edward feels some kind of way about Bella not uh having had sex where with where are we in the story? This is a conversation when Edward spends the night for the first time. Uh not it's, the first time, just the first time well, that she knows about it. Okay, that's fair <laughs> f- consent.
2: Fair decision. <laughs>
0: uh yeah but the first time that bella knows that edward is spending the night they have this conversation and it's kind of like alluded to that bella wants to have something like physical occur
2: oh yeah i I, you know just a red-blooded human male i was like "Mm, is this happening or not
1: (laughs) and edward's like i will eat you instead and not
0: in the way you want yeah and then he's like but i mean i
2: I got money says that gets edited out (laughs) (laughs)
0: I don't think so, honestly, because it's a valid point. Because also at the same time, he's like, but have you had sex with anyone else? And I feel like the only answer he would have accepted was like, no, you're the only one. And that is what happened. And again, problematic. But again, from the 17-year-old perspective, it was like, oh, that's so cute. But from the 27-year-old perspective, not so cute.
2: And what about from the 100-year-old perspective? Uh, Super not cute. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) That's the episode title is super not cute. Super uh, Super not cute. Moving on. Yeah. The next morning, Edward offers for Bella to come meet his family and reasonably, she's like less concerned about meeting a bunch of vampire vampires slash going into a coven. And she's more concerned about like meeting her boyfriend's family for the first time. And like on the one hand, girl, same because meeting your boyfriend or spouse's or partner's family is absolutely fucking terrifying but also on the other hand like you were going into a vampire coven and i have seen you know i am robot a couple of times and you know the concept of walking into a dark space where there are scary things is scary and she's not concerned at all about being scared Uh, Inside the house of the scary things, um, everyone except Rosalie and Emmett are there in, you know, they're all kind of like trying to walk really slow, no sudden movements, so, you know, Bella isn't aware of the fact that they're like not human and Alice is like zoom zoom I'm a vampire in a very Alice fashion that was Uh, adorable and completely like Alice uh, yeah that is fair also I want to caveat um at the time of recording but not at the time of publishing I talked about love theoretically and I love the fact that Elise the main character of love theoretically has some kind of like weird obsession with Bella Alice fanfic uh I ship it now that I know that that is a ship to be shipped. Uh, (laughs) I heard it.
2: I'm heading to Urban Dictionary right now.
0: (laughs) Because also Alice, like this is a little bit later. Alice is the only one that asks Bella if she wants to be picked up and like yeeted somewhere. And (laughs) no one else asks her. Everyone else just kind of picks her up and vampires away. But Alice is like, is this okay? And she's like, yeah sure and then gets vampire heated away so bella and alice supremacy (laughs) honest i could not relate (laughs) to alice as a character at all i couldn't either but now viewing it from the lens of love theoretically i can (laughs) which is weird it's interesting because
1: when i first read twilight i'm like rosalie's a fucking bitch and now like looking back i'm like
0: I love Rosalie. Yeah. It's like she's the only one that was like reasonable throughout this whole thing. She's yeah. like, um, you should continue to be human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about that until uh, the weird unspecified unscheduled date that we talk about New Moon or uh, whatever book Rosalie we're, explains her story. We are not doing <laughs> That's any the- more books in this series. That's fair. Because we're talking about too much but emotional I, trauma.
2: But I really wanted to read books th- two through four.
0: You should just read them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, this next scene, Edward flexes on the piano and oh. Bella's taken on a tour of the house. Uh, in the movie, which we will talk about in part three, which is the next part of this. If we get to n- the next part, cause we're talking about the movie so much throughout the book. Uh, this is uh, a Bella's, I want to say nightmare, but that is not the word. Sonata, that's also not the word. Uh,
2: Were you talking about the song? Yeah. yeah There's a word be for- like, uh, Bella's lullaby or something. Like that.
1: It is called Bella's lullaby. Yeah, I actually, I know how to play Bella's lullaby. Are you Girl, shitting me? what? You're shitting me. I do.
0: I learned it. Because well, I
2: was upset. It is a lullaby because he keeps playing uh, it while
0: she's asleep and all that. Also, I am the only one in this room that does not know how to play the piano, and I feel a little bit
2: uh... inferior. No. Nope.
0: That's the word. I was saying inc- insignificant in my head, and that's not the
2: word. I'm. <laughs>
0: Not insignificant, just a little bit inferior.
2: You're not insignificant, maybe just a tad inferior.
0: That's <laughs> fair, yeah. <Wow. laughs> this dick. Jesus. Uh, anyway, so this is like the only like really unbiased opinion I had throughout this book. So this next part was really interesting. So Edward gives Bella a tour of the family history. So he goes into Carlisle's office and he's like, look at all these pictures. Let's talk about it. Um, This was really fucking interesting. Like I wish this had been a bigger part of book 1 and had been like an overarching theme instead of just being relied upon in book 4 as like a, you know, catch-all to solve all of their problems. Um was Edward's kind of explanation that Carlo was born as a preacher's son in the 1600s and then he was you know, out hunting vampires at his father's behest and actually like found one on accident, but then like by the grace of God, Hey. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, he found one but hey. <laughs> <somebody>. <laughs> I made a pun And no one recognized it Uh He like found An actual vampire But was, was like only bitten And then hidden a pile of potatoes And he was okay <laughs> Uh So this was something interesting and I feel like it should have been talked about a little bit more than it was. Um, Carlisle had this whole like era of self-loathing which we do not love um and then uh he decided he was going to try to like save people and so he went to italy to go study medical science and then he met the scary overlord vampires that we now know is the volturi but then we did not know as the volturi uh marcus and caius uh this was a super interesting interlude that we did not get enough time with he just had this as like this you know just talk he was giving as he was you know introducing Bella to his family history it was not anything more than that it's like feels important (laughs) I don't know that might be a controversial take yeah (laughs) thank you Jordan
2: (laughs) your comments readers your comments below
0: (laughs) Uh, anyway that felt like a controversial take and they just bypassed it uh, anyway, Carlyle was like, I'm still not really into eating vampires when he was talking to the Volturi and they're like, wow, I don't understand that. And so he went to the new world, i.e. America. And when he was in Chicago in the six, 1700s, 1900s, uh, whenever Edward was born, I don't know math or history. In
2: 1917, because he would have been, he was suffering from a Spanish, Spanish flu.
0: Uh, thank you, Rob. 1917. Uh... Uh, he Edward was suffering the uh, Spanish influenza. I feel like I'm in some kind of like uh history test, and I'm not doing well.
2: <laughs> who was who was president of the United States in 1980? Earl, no, I, Girl, I, I, don't I know. could
0: not fucking answer that <laughs> with a gun pointed to my head. <laughs> Wilson, that was the president. Uh, anyway, uh, he was uh you know suffering from the spanish influenza dying Carlo is like i'm gonna make you into a friend because i need a friend and i feel that and then anyways edward they you know he takes bella to his bedroom and instead of having some kind of like smutty interlude they talk about cds anyway we're rewarded through that trauma of reliving the early 2010s um, With a dearth of spider monkey quotes, I am so mad that the movie quote was not actually in the book until I read a news article about where the movie quote came from, and then I got happy again. So in the book... They're both looking at me like I'm fucking insane, but I swear to god there's a point behind this. I'm waiting
2: to see that she's insane. Let's start.
0: So, in the book there are no references to spider monkeys at all. There's no references to, you know, climbing trees. They're both looking at me like I'm fucking insane and I I don't feel seen right now. <laughs> <laughs> But fun fact, uh, I feel like we're not going to need to do, you know, part three of the movie because I'm going to talk about it right now. Robert Pattinson handpicked the line, you better hold on tight, spider monkey. There were options that did not involve spider monkey. And Robert Pattinson was like, no, I want the spider monkey one.
2: Okay, not having seen the movie what? since it, since it came out, I saw it. I said fifteen years ago. Oh. Whenever it came out, like, Still is this the acceptable. scene where he throws Bella on his back mm-hmm. when they're leaving the baseball field or on their way to the baseball field? Uh,
0: no, before that.
2: Before that, yeah. yeah but hang
0: on tight, spider monkey. Oh, and then he climbs the tree, and then they have this like you know picturesque d- view of the Puget Sound Peninsula. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, hey, you know, actually, credit to Robert Pattinson. That's an adorable line. That's a, uh, that's an adorable line. That's I, not... I, I'm going to give him credit for that one.
0: Okay, so they had this article. So there was a writer strike when they were first uh, talking about fielding the movie or whatever, and they had not finished the script for this. And so the producer or director of the movie, Melissa... Hardwick was like, uh, I have some like written in, you know, quotes that you could do Robert Pattinson, uh, pick one out of 10 in out of the options that are all very realistic, uh, including you're not scared of heights are you? Hold on tight. dot 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 Wrap your legs around me. dot 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 Got a good grip. Don't let go. dot 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 Um, he literally picked the spider monkey one. Uh, from a man that does not live tw- like does not love Twilight at all and, you know, is very antagonistic in all of his interviews. He really picked the spider monkey quote. I would too, given those
1: options. (laughs) Wrap your legs around me. (laughs)
0: That's fair. But I just want to emphasize the fact that the spider monkey quote was handpicked and was not in the book, not in the original text. Yeah. That's fair. He has this weird kind of like moment where he's like, oh my God, I'm a vampire and you're a human. Uh, I could devour you at any point. And then Alice walks in and she invites them to play baseball leader, the American, in quotes, vampire, end quote, pastime, except they have to go back to El's house first for some reason instead of just going straight to the baseball field to play baseball. And at Bella's house, Billy and Jacob are waiting. And Billy harasses her with some like ominous, you know, like stay away from them. We'll be watching in like a weird protective vibe that kind of felt not overly aggressive and kind of like okay. And you know, he also asked like, do you know what you're getting into? Oh, okay, well, I guess we'll be here anyways if things go sideways and that's the end of the conversation. Anyways That's really the end of that conversation. And then Bella also has a half-assed conversation with Jessica. This is controversial, but I feel like Jessica deserves better.
1: I feel like both Jessica and Mike deserve better.
0: Jessica, Mike, Billy, and Jacob all deserve better bella was like not interested in all anything that they were saying they have some kind of like rando conversation jessica's talking about like being kissed by mike and bella's like not really listening and then charlie comes home and bella explains that she has like kind of sort of a boyfriend with edward in edward and he's like i thought you didn't like anyone in forks and he's like well uh, edwards technically isn't in forks
2: Also, he's like super glittery and built of alabaster and superhuman. So that's
0: fair. Again, from the 17 year old perspective, who would not want to date Edward? Mm -hmm. So Edward comes to pick her up, and Charlie pulls the whole tough dad persona thing, but in a surprisingly like wholesome, non aggro way. Like, I feel like this was a very reasonable conversation that was had between Charlie and uh, Edward. Like, it was just like, you're going to take Mabella out. And he's like, yeah and then he's like okay keep her safe and then that was it there was no like shotgun loading like there was in the movie there was no like weird like you need to protect her virginity with your life kind of thing go charlie um he has like hot daddy vibes
1: (laughs) so in the book he's described as having this like receding hairline
0: and being like this like has been kind of they should have cast him like that because they cast him in the movie as a fucking daddy vibe a hundred percent it's the mustache it it really is (laughs) it's the fucking mustache I'm having an
2: existential crisis right now (laughs) incels tune in for tips
0: (laughs) the mustache uh and now we are blessed with you know supermassive black hole baseball montage uh until we get you know the unfortunately timed intrusion by three bad guys um if you don't know what i'm talking about supermassive black hole that's the movie um again i don't think we need a part three because uh the movie and the book are hazy and the same in my mind (laughs) Anyways, everything's fine with these like three bad guys in the Cullen family until there's a breeze. Like, again, that fucking breeze. It was in biology class and now it's coming back again. Uh, Until James, like, it's all like moony over murdering Bella. He's like, oh my God, I want to kill her. She smells so good. And then cue the circus. Okay, so
1: James appears, but with no introduction. So, none. James, Laurent, and Victoria are all three brand new vampires that are like, hey, We appear out of nowhere. You guys are playing baseball. We want to play baseball, too. That sounds like a fun time. And then everything is all set to go and roll until that, like, that fucking breeze happens. (laughs) (laughs) And James gets a fucking stick up his ass like, oh, shit. That's a sniffle. A sniffle (laughs) of human. And, oh, you guys brought a
0: snack. (laughs) uh i don't think that victoria is named in this book is she not i don't think so i think it's only named in the movie Mm. which is a fun fun fact but i don't remember anyway yeah the circus so edward is dead set on driving to like mars to get bella safe but bella's like i have like a family and stuff and so she has this whole like big hullaboo. I put in my notes hoboluo hoabao in uh <laughs> Hullab- two shots Hull- how do you even say that say hullabaloo. it again Anyway, Bella suggests just, like, going back to Phoenix uh, while the others either protect her dad or mislead James, um, and she just, like, goes about her life, apparently not caring that Edward is just living his life also, but separate from her. But then everyone accepts that plan, and Bella says some, like, really, frankly, fucking unforgivable fucked-up things to Charlie. Again, a controversial hot take. Uh, Charlie deserves better. He deserves me. Whoa! (laughs) I love that we went from like Charlie has like daddy energy to Jordan like I will be your stepmom. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: Jesus. What?
0: But also I understand it. Uh, he has the fucking like mustache energy. You know what it is. Anyway, uh, she says all those fucked up things. Boo Bella. Two thumbs down. And then uh, goes back to the Holens' house. So, Bella and Esme, Esme switch clothes. Rosalie has a breakdown hissy like, why the fuck are we helping her? And Edward and Bella exchange really sadly goodbye with, like, some weird, like, kissing and, like, loaded terminology. And then Bella is whisked off by Alice and Jasper to Phoenix in exactly one working day, even though the trip takes, like, three days by car. So, 0% understand how that math works out, but also okay, I guess uh they're in a hotel anyways and everyone's like super nervous and on edge and freaked out because no one is calling with updates and then alice has a vision of a ballet studio and unfortunately it's the you know exact ballet studio that bella went to as a child um that's Nerve wracking, but nobody seemed really concerned about the fact. And then uh, something bad happens. Edward calls and apologizes for losing James and says that Victoria has been like snooping around her school. And then Bella immediately freaks out because like, oh, my God, her records, her privacy, her HIPAA. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Rob. I was hoping for a laugh. <laughs> and then she uh says that you know he's probably going to come get her mom and get her and then you know maybe Edward will come to save her and they can fly off forever. And then Bella immediately starts daydreaming about a hotel room with her boyfriend which like girls seem. And then all of a sudden she gets a mom for Gets a call from her mom. There we go. And her mother, in quotation marks, is actually James, who directs her to ditch her babysitters, i.e. Allison Jasper, and to come uh, to her mother's house or else. Uh, Bella's all of a sudden 100% emotionally ready to die, which, like, confusing, because all of a sudden, like, all of the times before this, you were not really ready to die. And then she ditches Alice and Jasper at the airport somehow, takes a rando Hyatt bus to the hotel, and then takes a taxi, and then gets to her house, and is directed to rent the ballet studio, which is around the corner. I'm going to interrupt for just a second. That's fair. This is,
1: like, 70 to 50 pages towards the end, if I were to hazard a guess, and this is not a short book, mm-hmm. so the entire fucking novel has been this like buildup of an emotional relationship between Edward and Bella, and then we get this actually interesting dynamic with these outside vampires mm-hmm. changing the environment, influencing the character dynamics, and it's only the last seventy to fifty pages.
2: I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna interrupt as well to interject, which is not that it has been a buildup, but that it has been a description of a very rapid unfolding of a relationship. Because yeah. what do we do? Somebody somebody mentioned the math. Like she shows up in March of the year yep. and then the book ends in prom. Yeah. Which so is like, like
0: June. Yeah.
2: Mid-June. Like I, I don't know if our in our narrative format we've discussed the fact that at some point along the lines, are by now the two main characters, Bella and Edward, have declared their undying love for one another. And I mean, we're talking in the course of a few months here. All right, fine. High school students, except one of them is a hundred years old. So just putting that out there.
0: And I feel like we also need to rationalize this rationalize this in like real person time frame but we're like not because again paranormal romance yeah
1: yeah
0: uh, anyway so Bella is running to the ballet studio and she describes feeling like she's running in slow motion and I don't know if you guys have ever had like those weird realistic nightmares where you're like trying to run somewhere and you feel like you're going through fucking like quicksand uh, this was one of those like disturbing parallels where you're like I know exactly what she's feeling
2: Oh, I've definitely had dreams of being chased by Robert Pattinson, so.
0: Mm. There was a lot of, like, weird, sultry, hefty vibes behind that, and, like, I subscribe to it, Uh, but also the, like, running through quicksand thing is not pleasant. Anyway, she gets to the... (laughs) we're just gonna bypass that it's fine Uh, (laughs) she gets to the ballet studio finds james duped her lol is anyone like really surprised like a vampire actually went to florida lol i don't think they'd make it out against their like first interaction with florida man first of all (laughs) anyways he duped her with a video camera vhs uh how did alice not see this um, Jane has this like little freaky video camera set up and then, you know, to record her death, which like B.I.G. yikes. Um, he is recording this whole thing for future, you know, sexual awarding or, you know, he's getting something out of this, which is really disturbing. He's, uh, a, good villain. he's a good villain. He is a good villain, but like a scary villain because he's competent. And then he reveals that like Alice was in an insane asylum her whole life. And that's why she doesn't remember anything from her human life. And he's kind of like big mad about it. And like also why do we not talk about Alice's life anywhere throughout this novel except this little tidbit? Because it's been a while since I've read the rest of the books. But also I don't think they touch on this at all. James proceeds to eat with his food before. Oh no. (laughs) James proceeds to eat. Play with his food before he eats it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Is that-
0: And he, like, proceeds to break literally every single bone in Bella's body before he bites her hand for some reason, which I really don't understand why he bit her hand at the end. Like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then he is absolutely fucking unalived by Edward, Jasper, and Emmett. And also, like, why didn't she do that in the first place in the baseball field when you had the chance? Like, why did you wait for all of this to happen first? And then, anyway, James is unalived. Edward and the crew are trying to help Bella. Um, Carlisle's there. And then they eventually realize that Bella has been bitten. Oh, fuck. And uh, Carlisle says, it's Edward... (laughs) Edward... Katie, it's it's one episode. God help me. <laughs> it is Edward's decision, which again, interesting because isn't it Bella's decision to decide if she wants to be a vampire or not? But Bella or Edward apparently makes the decision for her. And then, you know, if he had just decided to let her be a vampire, it would have... Solved all of the problems that are in the next three books, but he did not, and he decides to suck the venom out of her hand bite like a snake. Snake, don't step on me. Uh, that's a meme. They're both looking at me like they're confused. No
2: step on me. No step on. Me. <laughs> no step, no step on snake.
0: Oh, thank you. I know I feel, it. I know it. We all feel know seen. it. Scene. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, the next scene, Bella wakes up in the hospital. Her mom is there and vaguely concerned about her daughter, who is, you know, uh, almost dead, but not, which is a fair, you know, emotional response to your daughter almost dying. Uh... And she's also a little bit, like, confused about her daughter being in love with this guy who looks like a male model and your daughter is a little bit, like, mid-looking. I would be concerned, too, Renee. But Bella is like, no, I want to stay in Forks. And it maybe or maybe not has to do with the fact that my boyfriend is, like, hot as fuck. And Renee is like, okay, I guess. And then for some reason, Charlie is not at the hospital. I want to talk about this. Why is Charlie not in Phoenix to see his, to his injured daughter? Silence. Out of character. Plot hole.
2: I mean, mom's there and
1: Rene. No. Yeah. Uh, dear God, let's get to Charlie, the end. Okay, so that's fair. she's in the hospital. Uh, she's recovering.
0: Renez oh, not may Whoa. Ooh, <laughs> spoiler. Get <Well, skip> forward. <laughs> uh renee is kind of weirded out renee leaves edward is like oh my god i love you it'll be fine i'm not gonna leave you uh and then bella blacks out because of medications and then all of a sudden we get the epilogue and edward is taking bella to prom and this episode is probably nonsensical and i love the fact that we were reviewing twilight which everybody knows thank god anyway epilogue Uh, Edward is taking Bella to the prom but she doesn't know it's the prom and she thinks it's some like elaborate vampire ceremony so that he can like turn her into a vampire and then he's like haha and then Jacob shows up to deliver a message of warning and he's like oh my god don't do it and then everyone is really tired and I wish this book was over and then Edward has some like you know conversation with Bella about like them loving each other but it's like weirdly caveated of like oh my god I would never leave you you, asterisk of maybe I would later and then they kiss and the book ends cue the Paramore song do 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 what
1: song? I I,
0: that it does I think first of all wow
1: that's a, that's a lot for, for one episode this is a good place to stop we we may or may not continue with a Twilight movie episode so thank you for sticking with us with our ups and downs and our several shots and our guest speaker yeah thank I you hope, I hope it was fun for you guys <laughs> so um, Rob, do you want to close this out?
2: <gasps> Ooh, I have so many notes. No, 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 I... no, oh, no, no. No, 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 You don't get your no. notes.
1: No notes. You get to say our closeout. So do you want to say our
0: first call out and then he can close? Is he going to know what that means?
2: Oh, yeah. That's just it from uh, our shelf to yours, right? Uh, <laughs> what? <from our laughs> yeah. That deserves a
0: shot, first of all.
2: Shibidi, shibidi, uh, uh
0: From our shelf to yours.
2: We'll see you on the next page. <laughs>
0: Hi, readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram.
1: Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday and Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. Thanks for listening. Bussin'.